reading is from Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 48. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming, and he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I wonder if you've ever inherited anything. Uh, it's a blessing, really, I think, when, when we do something that just comes to us that uh, we perhaps hadn't expected. But, of course, so often when we inherit, um, it comes from the sadness of losing someone. Uh, a friend of mine uh, wrote his will, unbeknown to us all, to share his estate among a great many people. I received one percent. I was at Bible college at the time and it paid my fees for that year. It was wonderful. One of, uh, one of four signs that God gave me just one after the other in my first term that I should trust him for finances. I missed my friend uh, but I was grateful to him and to God for what I inherited. Uh, maybe you've inherited money or, or, or property on the death of a parent. The grief is palpable. The pain is real. Yet as the necessary legal steps are taken. Inevitably you must decide what will happen. What will you do with your inheritance? A replacement car maybe is something you need. A kitchen extension is maybe something you desire. Or maybe you need to be practical and say. What do my kids need? What stage are they at? Are they going off to college and we need to provide for them? 
Inheritance is fundamentally about dealing with the here and now, our immediate future. What will I now be able to do? We're in Luke chapter 12 this morning, and if you were to open your Bible, you have your Bibles open in front of you, if you look back to verse 13, then in Luke 12, 13, someone speaks up from the crowd. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone speaks up from the crowd and asks a question about inheritance. Jesus gives his answer in a parable, warning the crowd as he does so about placing too much focus on the here and now. But jump down a bit to verse 23 and notice what happens. You see, at verse 22, did I say 22? Verse 22 Jesus turned away from the questioner, he turned away from the crowd, and he turned to his disciples. It's as if he says, look, you've heard my general answer to the crowd, but now this specific answer is for you. You, if you are my disciples, you need to know more. And he goes on to tell them four things, the fourth of which is actually our focus this morning. So just let me briefly outline the four. At verse 22, he says, do not worry. At verse 32, he says, do not be afraid. Then at verse 35, he says, be ready. And at verse 42, be faithful. Do not worry about your life here and now, for the Father knows your needs. Do not be afraid as to what you have now or may lose, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And do not concentrate on the here and now. Look ahead. The Master has given you work to do, but the most important thing is to be ready for his return. Ready for his return. Jesus' return is a certain event. And this is the message of the twin parables at verse 35 and at verse 42. Both these parables, did you notice when they were read, speak of a master of the house returning. And in both these parables, Jesus is speaking about his own return, which is yet to take place. So if you are his disciple today, This message is of importance to you, that you should be looking forward to his return. If you're not so certain that you're his disciple today, listen in. Listen in to how the news of this future second coming should shape our living today. So let's look first of all at the faithful and wise servant as we find him at verse 42. For in verse 42, Jesus introduces us to a servant. Some translations say steward, others say manager. The word used is that one for a servant put in charge of a household, over and above the other servants. Um, I, I, I came across, honestly, it was random, I came across a repeat of upstairs, downstairs on the television. <laughs> if you Younger than me, just go and YouTube it. No, don't. Um, I came across a repeat of Upstairs, Downstairs on, you know, one of those obscure television channels away down the list. Um, 
Uh, uh, do you remember Mr. Hudson, the butler, uh, played by Gordon Jackson? The, the butler is, of course, only a servant. But he is the head servant over all the others. He is concerned not just with the house and its owner, but he is responsible for the actions and work of the underservants, including Ruby. And he sets the tone. Now, maybe you've started to think, well, if you're going to talk about someone who's got responsibilities, and that's what this sermon's all about, well, I'm not in leadership of any kind. I can just snooze through this sermon. Well, before you say that, just pick up the clues from the exchange between Peter and Jesus that introduces our passage. For our focus this morning from verses 42 onwards is Jesus' response to a question from Peter at verse 41. Did you notice it? Lord, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Now, Jesus, if you clocked, didn't actually answer Peter's question directly, but with another question. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Who then is the faithful and wise manager? You see, by answering Peter's question with a question, Jesus does two things. Firstly, he frustrates any attempt by Peter, or by us for that matter, to dodge the issue as if it's only for the attention of others. And secondly, Jesus manages to convey the sense in his reply of who then is willing to be a faithful steward. Step up, Peter. Step up. Who is willing to be a faithful steward? Verse 42 tells us that the faithful and wise steward does what he has been told to do by his master. In particular, he ensures that the needs of the underservants are looked after. Perhaps hoping to dodge the issue, some people have suggested, therefore, that this parable must only apply to pastors and ministers, to church leaders and to elders. Well, certainly it is the responsibility of church leaders to care for their members. Those called to minister in any way must discharge the responsibilities faithfully and wisely. The faithful and wise Stuart. For example, the elders. The elders in a congregation must direct the congregation well, keeping faith with the people, knowing their flock. And they must rule wisely if and when that is called for. But then there's the teacher. Maybe that's the Sunday school teacher, or maybe it's the preacher in the pulpit. They must teach faithfully and soundly with wisdom as to what people need. Then those with pastoral gifts, well, they must care well at all times, remaining faithful to those in their charge. If someone needs sustained support, then that's what must be given. Not some sort of, uh, I wish you well, I'll pray for you, and pass by on the other side. But why should we stop there? Isn't it also a calling to be a parent or to be a homemaker? Isn't there a need in the home 
to be faithful and wise, steward of all that you have for your family? How shall we bring up our children? Caring for them, yes. Feeding them, clothing them, providing education, but also fun and opportunity to help them develop socially and giving, and, and find opportunities to develop their, their God-given talents. And what about spiritually? Question, are we faithfully and wisely setting an example to our children and teaching them in the home as well as in the church, what it is to be faithful to the Lord and to rely on him fully for life. And then again, church members must exercise their responsibility in the body, the priesthood of all believers, not shirking responsibility, letting others work while we sit back. We need to be faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ and wise as we deal with them and we see their circumstances perhaps different to ours. Bottom line is this, I think. Can you imagine any, any situation where a disciple of Jesus Christ is not called to be faithful and wise? Are we beginning to see an answer to Peter's question? Step up, Peter. Step up. Step up. Fill in own name here. (laughs) Then at verse 43, at verse 43, Jesus tells his disciples how things will work out for the faithful steward who perseveres, never forgetting that the master will return. What does it say? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so, that is, acting as he should, faithfully and wisely, when he returns. There is blessing indeed when the master returns. Remember, the master in the parable is Jesus. There is blessing indeed. We read from the NIV. That's what I have in front of me. Perhaps you do too. It says it will be good in verse 43. If you've got an ESV on your knee, then you'll find it translated as blessed, which is actually the better, I think, more accurate translation. Blessed as in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when. Blessed are you. When the master finds you doing what you've been given to do faithfully and wisely when he returns. There is blessing ahead when Jesus returns. But the blessing belongs to those found doing what they have been called to do. Does that surprise you? That the blessing is conditional. It belongs to those who are found doing what they've been called to do. We're not questioning salvation here, but we're looking at blessing when Jesus returns. So I think the question for us, for each of us, is this. Are we doing what we are called to do? Or to put it another way, what are my gifts and am I using them? What are my gifts And am I using them? If God has made us to be practical or artistic or administrative, are we using his gifts in his service to his glory? If we are musical or gifted in leadership or in teaching, are we engaged in ministry? If we are sporty, how can we be sporty for Jesus Christ? 
If given to hospitality, are we exercising hospitality? One of the difficulties, I think, in these COVID years is that we have had opportunities to serve taken from us. And we found that hard. But the greater issue may be this. That having had to lay them aside, we may, if we're honest, be reluctant to take them up again. So what will the Master find us doing when he returns at an hour when we do not expect him? Now, in verse 45, by means of contrast, Jesus introduces us to the unfaithful servant. But we need to note something before uh, we go any further. This is not a different servant, but the same one. But suppose the servant, not a servant, the servant, that same servant, says to himself, it's the same servant. You see, it's all too easy to think that there are people in the world who, uh, who are always good. Well, he's a good servant. And people in the world who are always bad, although he's a bad servant. But you know, that's worldly thinking. Not biblical thinking at all. And worldly thinking always concludes, oh, <laughs> and I'm one of the good people. Friends, we kid ourselves if we think that way. We kid ourselves if we think that we might not change our minds and do the opposite thing. Not do the right thing, but do the wrong thing. We're well capable of it. Human beings, human beings are made in God's image. And so we are capable of doing great good. But our natures are fallen. And so we're also capable of doing great wrong. And the temptation is always with us. So let's look at how this same servant might behave, if not faithfully and wisely. First of all, notice in verse 45, he speaks to himself. Actually, the original expression is, he speaks in his heart. In his heart. Isn't that where all our problems begin? What we say in our hearts to ourselves is the real us not the words we speak in public and I say that particularly to myself as a public speaker and as a preacher as so often Jesus shows us that each aspect of life is ultimately as the children were learning this morning a heart matter the disciple who acts faithfully turns his or her her heart towards the master the one who acts unfaithfully not so now you see this unfaithful servant decides that he can forget all about his master's return and just concentrate on the here and now in other words <laughs> to coin a phrase he takes back control and the same temptation is always there for the believer, particularly the believer who's been on the Christian road for some time, to forget Jesus' teaching about his return. It can even be seen in, in, in holy busyness. 
of just rolling your sleeves up and getting on with the things of the church and the things that I do in ministry. And, and, but actually we've taken our eye off the master and we've forgotten that he's coming back. And our busyness is not what he told us to do, but just what we prefer to do. Or it might go further. We might just decide, well, you know, if Jesus isn't coming back, then this life is all there is. And if this life is all there is, then we'd jolly well better just, just, just get along and do what we want to do. Yeah, let's take back control. Let's do it for ourselves. What happens then? Well, the believer's purpose becomes not to serve the master, nor to take care of those for whom he or she bears responsibility. No, the believer's purpose then becomes simply looking after number one. Any position of responsibility morphs into a position of power. And the exercise of power is intoxicating. Verse 45 describes the steward abusing those he should be caring for, indulging in gluttony and in drunkenness. What does he care anymore? You think you can't go down that line? We can all go down that line. Starts with a single step. Now clearly there is an application here to church leaders. Instead of loving and caring for the flock, some church leaders might strike that. Some church leaders have used their position to dictate to church members, to make demands of them that are not in keeping with Scripture, to be overly directive of the way they live their lives, to place financial demands on them, and all the rest. Maybe you've heard of high-profile disruptions and scandals. Just from sheer numbers, we often hear about them in the U.S., but they happen in this country too. When Christian leaders behave wrongly. Why? Because they've taken their eye off the master. They've forgotten he's going to return. And they've taken back control for themselves. Now it's not the purpose of Jesus' parable to address how we should be dealing with that. Though we see the, the problem highlighted. But Jesus does remind us of two very important things to keep at the forefront of our minds. One, he is coming back. And two, he is coming to judge. So firstly, let's look at the idea that he is coming back. If you look to the earlier um, parable, back at verses 39 and 40. Jesus described himself there as being like a thief coming in the night. Think about it. No thief announces in advance when he will come. I wonder if you've ever come home and there's been a note through the door. Please be advised that I shall attend your house to steal and to loot at 3am this coming night. No need to wait up. But if you could leave a door on the latch or a window open, that would be much appreciated. Yours faithfully. Steely McSteelface. Burglars are us. 
No, you, you'd call the police, wouldn't you, if you got that letter? You'd call the police. They'd probably think you were daft, but you'd call the police uh, to lie in wait for the burglar, wouldn't you? Verse 46 tells us the master will come on a day when the steward does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. Jesus is coming back, but the time is not given. That's exactly how it's going to be for Jesus' return. Only God the Father knows the timing of it. But we are to live, how? In expectation of it and in readiness for it. The question is, are we doing so? Are we living in expectation of it and in readiness for it? Are we being faithful? Are we being wise? Secondly, how will those who have abused their positions, like this second picture we had of the servant, how will those who have abused their positions be judged when Jesus returns? Notice there's quite a harsh phrase in verse 46. The master will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. There's a parallel passage in Matthew 24 where this parable appears also. It says there, a place with the hypocrites. And there's quite a lot of debate about what these phrases refer to. It's entirely possible, I think, that Jesus is teaching here the same as he did in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. There, Jesus said of true and false prophets, by their fruit you will recognize them, by their fruit shall ye know them. Perhaps those who fail to minister, who fail to use their gifts properly or effectively or to God's glory, perhaps they were never true believers in the first place. And so rightly, as all godly judgment is, rightly they will be assigned to a place with the unbelievers. The hypocrisy of their supposedly Christian living will be revealed and judged. It's quite a difficult topic. The ideas of rewards and judgments are actually quite common in Jesus' parables. Turn over with me for a moment to Luke chapter 19. The section there, chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, quite a long section. It's headed in my Bible, the parable of the ten minas. A mina was a, a considerable lump of money. Uh, and in that section, if you read through it, it says that those who had been faithful were with little were permitted to exercise that same faithfulness with much. Funnily enough, it's about a a, a, a master going away and coming back again. But uh, different men are given different amounts of money, and it's what they've done with that money for the master that shows the master how much he can trust them. It's how faithful they have been. And uh, we're told there that those who'd been faithful with little were permitted to exercise that faithfulness, faithfulness with much. What little have you been given to do by God? What has he in store for you if you are faithful? 
By contrast, if you flick back a couple of pages to Luke 16. In Luke 16 from verses 10 to 12. uh, We have another situation to do with trust and faithfulness. But here, those who had shown themselves untrustworthy with little were reckoned to be untrustworthy with much. What little have you been given to do by God? You show yourself untrustworthy. Why would he come to you with more? We'd all want to be considered trustworthy and faithful, wouldn't we? But there is a caution, actually, in the passage we're reading. Luke 12, verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Ask yourself a question. What would you rather have right now from God? A lot or a little? If, if it's a little now... Should we grumble or should we get on and be found faithful, dealing in our small corner with what God has given us to do? Maybe we covet much, Lord, I'd like more. I'd like a wider ministry. I'd like more opportunity. I want to do more. Well, we skate on thin ice in some ways there. We create a burden for ourselves. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Some of you have multiple talents and gifts from God. Your burden is greater. All of us need to walk closely with God in the exercise of what he has given us to do, whether great or small. Friends, we are responsible now for how we use the gifts and opportunities for service God has given us. So let's do faithfully and wisely what we've been given to do and await expectantly the Lord's return whenever that will be. So in conclusion, while we may all need to deal sooner or later with the practicalities of inheritance, Jesus has given his disciples, and therefore us, if we are also his disciples, clear teaching for life. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. Look towards Jesus' return and be ready and be faithful. But I want to point out one last thing. Jesus does more than just teach us those things. He himself is our inspiration to keep going, and to remain faithful. You see, this parable sits in a very large section of Luke's Gospel. It's about ten chapters long. And it begins at chapter 9, verse 51. Chapter 9, verse 51. We we get a, 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 a milestone marker of a statement. As the time approached... For Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You see, his ministry in Galilee is now complete. Jesus is now on a journey 
a journey of many months. Along the way, he will meet individuals, families, and crowds. He will answer their questions with parables, and he will teach his disciples deeper truths. But in it all, his mind is made up. He is resolute. Nothing will stop him. He is headed for Jerusalem, and that means he is headed to the cross. You see, Jesus is our model for keeping going. He is our inspiration. He didn't serve himself. As he headed to Jerusalem, to his death, he did not seek to take back control, but he set out resolutely. Jesus, as ever, is our inspiration. So when we are ready for service, when we minister in his name, when we are faithful and wise stewards, then we walk in the footsteps of the Master. And as we walk, we must keep our focus on what is ahead, that the Son of God who went to Jerusalem and to the cross was the one who rose from the grave and who will come again in his Father's glory. How do we know? The words of Jesus himself in Mark's Gospel, Mark thirteen twenty six. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And the Apostle John in his Gospel records Jesus' clear promise on the matter at the beginning of John 14. Listen to this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, says Jesus. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is coming back. Will we heed his advice and be ready? Will we turn to him that he might save us and call us to be his disciple? And if we are his, will we follow resolutely our calling to be a faithful steward of all he has given us and called us to be? Friends, what an inheritance lies ahead of us. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day when you come in glory. We have seen you but, but dimly just now, but then we will see you in all the glory that you possess, all the glory of the Father upon you. We long for that day. We pray for those known to us who will be find that day dreadful, that they would turn to you before that day, that they also might rejoice and be glad that you have come again as you promised to come. Lord Jesus, help us to do that which you have called us to do, 
to be faithful and wise as we do it, to think not of ourselves but of you, to minister not for ourselves but for others and for your glory. Help us to walk in your footsteps, resolutely doing that to which we've been called. Come, Lord Jesus, and take us to be with you. Amen.